people want to help and you give them joy by receiving their help. And that has been just a new, a wonderful discovery for me. It's just a, to, be, to be willing to be vulnerable and to be transparent. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy action and partnerships. Our primary objective is to prioritize the patient voice and health system delivery reform to achieve person-centered care. We are dedicated to amplifying the powerful stories of individuals and the collective needs of various communities across the country. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman, and today I get the pleasure of chatting with Beth Madison, who is a science professor at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. In her words, she has been married to the most wonderful man for the past 29 years and has two amazing sons and one fabulous daughter-in-law. In addition to loving her family, she enjoys baking, taking walks in nature, and creative writing. Thank you so much, Beth, for joining us. Now, I know that you shared with me that you have rheumatoid arthritis. Tell us a little bit about your diagnosis and how it has impacted your life. With RA and with lupus, it's like my body is attacking itself. It's viewing my joints, it's viewing other uh, aspects of my body as foreign invaders. And so my autoimmune system is on high alert and it's attacking various parts of my body like it would attack a virus or a bacteria or an infection. I was diagnosed with RA, rheumatoid arthritis, almost eight years ago. And this was not a surprise for me because um, I'm see my mother living with it. Both of my grandmothers, great-grandmothers, and other members of both sides of my family experienced RA and similar. Um, So when I started having initial symptoms, I kind of knew what was coming, was not surprised. And also I was not afraid because I knew that it took courage and hope and faith, but that it wasn't a destinance by any stretch of the imagination. That that it with you know with courage and with joy, finding joy in every day, it was going to be something I could live with and could thrive in. Um, so it started with going to the clinic at my university, um, where you go in and just he kind of agreed with yes, I think we need to see a doctor about this, about your symptoms, and I was because I was having the classic symptoms of pain in both hands, both feet, um, knees, hips, ankles, and so on. Um, the fatigue, the swelling, the um, just feeling kind of like you had the flu about all the time. Um, and so we went on, sent me on to my uh, general practitioner, my regular doctor, and she saw me, agreed with the treatment, and then called the, we have one rheumatologist, or I should say there's two rheumatologists that work together um, in one, in our, in my town and got me in as fast as she possibly could into them because it was coming very quickly and very fast. And I knew, and she knew that the longer you wait with this, the more damage is done and the worse and the harder it is to treat um, the longer you wait. So got into the rheumatologist in 
I don't know, a couple of months, maybe. Again, it takes a while to get into a specialist. And saw this rheumatologist for a series of visits over about a six-month period, I believe. And the this rheumatologist started me on one medication and said, you know, it will take a while to work. Okay, I knew that. It does take these medicines do take a while to work and it was not responding. And he and the rheumatologist kept saying, well, just give it a little bit longer. Just give it a little bit longer. You don't need anything else. Well, when I got to the point of where I was wearing, all I could wear were dresses that my husband would help me put on in the morning before I would go to work because I was a fighter. I was not, I was there for my students. I was not giving in to them. Um, and um, the only shoes I could wear were little sandals to, you know, like flip-flops to put on. And uh, with the dress also, you know, like during the day, I had to be able to care for myself. I couldn't do buttons. I couldn't do zippers. And so, you know, the just the reality of going all day long, you, you've got to wear something you can manage. And when I told the rheumatologist this, his response was, well, you sure look nice in that. And it, it looks like it's comfortable. And for me, that was the last straw. I knew I had done my research and I had seen it happen with my mother and my grandmothers. And I knew what the importance of good and aggressive medicine and that was not happening for me. I was I was seeing permanent damage was occurring. My hands were changing shape, um, and I knew that 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 just wasn't acceptable. So then I started looking around. Where else can I go? Uh, the two closest hubs uh, were an hour and a half, two and a half hours away, um, but it would have been a minimum of six months to even get in to see a rheumatologist. Um, and that was if I got put on the waiting list. And, you know, that's not from anything, any fault of my own. It was, just, that was just the numbers, the way it was. So I started talking to friends and family members and they started advocating for me, got connected with an incredible rheumatologist uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, four hours from where I live. Went there and it was completely different completely different attitude, uh, completely different prognosis and outcome. And um, just the way I was treated with respect, like, you know, that, that maybe I could have input into my treatment and have input into what I was hoping for, not just having to settle for what was possibly acceptable to the, the previous rheumatologist. Wow, what a huge difference that change in care made. And your rheumatologist is four hours away. So that's an eight hour trip, which is a typical work day. Do you make that trip by yourself or have a caregiver who accompanies you? Tell me a little bit about that journey to get the care that you deserve. I can't do that trip by myself. Um, it's just too much for, for me. Um, so my husband has to take me. And since we're both professors, uh, we have to schedule this when we have like school breaks or schedule it in the summer. Um, and 
like you said, it is a full day. A lot of times we may stay with uh, friends or family members in the area and then come back the next day. Ideally, my rheumatologist would like to see me every three months because of the medicine that I'm on. Um, but that's just not that's just not feasible. He has worked it out to where the university clinic here, uh, he sends lab work to them. They draw the blood, send it off, and then send the results to him. We do some telehealth. We were doing telehealth before the pandemic came around because not only taking away from a work day for the both of us, but also the, the stress and the, the energy required for those trips can uh, bring on a flare or just not be very helpful as a whole. It's great that you have your husband as a support system to help you navigate transportation. Our patients we serve report that transportation is one of the main barriers to accessing care in many rural areas. How has your telehealth experience over the years impacted your care? We used a lot of email and used a, he, he likes to have very detailed symptom lists and like that. So I don't keep a journal. But when I do see something starting to happen, I may start taking notes and making records. Um, as a scientist, I, I become my own guinea pig, if you will, <laughs> and make those records and then um, send those off to him. And then he may send an email back or have his nurse call me and ask specific questions. And then he himself may call me later in the day, like after regular hours, that's impressive that you two solely rely on email. I mean, but if it works, it works, right? <laughs> and what advice would you give people in a similar situation to yourself where the local care isn't providing what they need? Start advocating for yourself. Okay, there's nobody here in my hometown, but ask people, you know, ask around, do you know of anybody who has this disease? And if so, what, what doctor are they going to? My dad has said for years, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And just a matter of just start asking the questions. People are here. They want to help. People love to help. And um, they may know things that you had no idea that they ever knew. In my profession of being a professor, you're trained to, to be the one who knows everything. The expert, the professional. You're trained to have... You know, if you don't have an answer, you fake it until you make it. And then you, you show no chinks in your armor. And this, these diagnoses pulled the rug out from underneath me because this was the first thing I had ever encountered that I could just not overcome. But yet I found there's so much freedom in stepping back and say, I need help. Can you help me? And if the person can't help you, they would say, I can find somebody who can, and they will. I totally understand because I'm similar to you and I also don't like asking for help. It took me a while to realize the power and the strength in that, like you mentioned. And also for me, it's all about feeling comfortable in those relationships to be able to communicate my needs. And I know you mentioned that you have a great relationship with your doctor. So what is that communication like between the two of you? He listens to me. He wants my input. He doesn't just dismiss me based on my blood work or based on what he sees when I walk in the door. Um, he is concerned about what is important to me. 
he is concerned about the fact that that I may not get enough rest because of my job. And I'm, I'm trying to do better. <laughs> I really and but yet he knows that my students are so important to me and my family is so important to me. And so he's like, OK, well, let's just see if we can figure out something else. Every time I see him, see meaning talk to him on the phone or see him in the office, he's always been found out something new. He said, I think this might be of help to you. Have you tried this? Let's, what about, what about, think about trying this? And he thinks about the real, realistic aspect of, you know, price wise. Can I afford that? And, you know, I talked about, we just got a new bed. And so he was asking me, you know, you, you may mention the last time you were talking about getting a new bed. How is that helping? You know, is that just all aspects of life? He's concerned about me wholly not just what's in my chart. Wow. I wish every patient could speak about their provider relationship like that and know what it truly means to be valued, respected, heard, and like you mentioned, truly a part of the co-creation of their care. You know, we have books like The Five Love Languages to teach us how to understand and act in a way that our romantic partner understands. But there's no universal guide for relationships with our healthcare team. And from what you said, it seems like he takes a lot of initiative in asking about what matters the most to you in opening up that dialogue. But unfortunately, that isn't everyone else's experience. So do you have any advice for people who want to open up that conversation with their providers, but just don't know how? At least in my experience, the more logical and analytical that I can be in terms of making notes, and these are my symptoms, this is how often I have them. This is what it's interfering with in my life. This is what I have lost because of this, or this is what I've gained that I don't want because of this. And this is what is most important to me. Also, something else to consider is how, you know, of course, the worse my pain is, the worse my swelling, the symptoms are, the more emotional. I am the closer I am to that threshold of tears, which I don't like breaking down in front of people. Honestly, that's just not my kind of thing, including my doctor. Um, but that that's why it's, I found it's helpful for me to have it written down when I go in because I get nervous and I lose my train of thought. Taking somebody with you is a great thing. I have a, a friend who is a, a nurse practitioner who has gone with me, and it's more of a support. Not only does she drive me, but it's a support system. When the doctors ask me a question and maybe I haven't answered it or she knows that I've forgotten to say something, like when the doctor comes to the end of it, is there anything else like you'd like to say or want to add or whatever? She'll chime in and say, Beth, um, did you mention to me about blank or whatever what about this or whatever and so she's not acting as that nurse practitioner that she is she's acting as my friend she's acting as my support and she is advocating for me and then the third thing is 
those things which you may not think to be important at all. Like I'd had these rashes here and there for years, didn't think anything of it, just thought it was like poison ivy or an allergic to a new fabric softener or, you know, whatever. Turns out that was lupus. <laughs> and I had just not made that connection, even with the migraines and just other things which are and stomach issues, which I thought were just maybe I, you know, stress or whatever. But until that is brought out and either your doctor asks you about it or you bring it forward, that may be the very thing that makes the difference in a diagnosis or that makes the difference in a medicine choice, which may be more favorable than the other one. That's great advice. It's a shame so many people get dismissed by their providers, but they don't see it as that, right? They think, well, you have these letters after your names and you said that I'm overreacting and it will go away on its own. So I'm going to listen to you because I trust that you want the best for me, which sometimes prevents people from asking those follow-up questions and giving a little bit of pushback when they truly feel uncomfortable or unsettled about something. And absolutely have the respect for the profession. The, the doctors have gone through huge amounts of schooling and training and and hard, hard, hard work um, and have the respect for their, you know, their position, but they're not God and they're not even little gods. <laughs> there is one God and they are not, <laughs> and they're human just like we are. They're fallible just like we are, but have the respect and say, you know, thank you. I appreciate this. Um, could we talk some more or, you know, would, what, would you mind if I get a second opinion or would you, you know, could I, can I come back again if I have X, Y, and Z symptoms or whatever? And lastly, I would like to ask, is there anything else you would like to share about your journey or any great lessons you've learned while being an advocate in action? I guess the fact that uh, this, it has been life-changing for me. And in a very good way. Um, I wouldn't wish this on anybody else for any reason <laughs> at all. But yet I wouldn't trade it for anything because of what I've learned about what's really important in life. Um, that there is joy and that there is hope and faith and courage and truth and love that can be found in a lot of things that I overlooked beforehand, including people that I overlooked beforehand. Because like I said earlier, that I am one of, used to be, <laughs> still have that tendency to be, one of the people that is very driven, very determined, and would just run right over you to get what I thought needed to be accomplished. In so doing, I missed so many important people, missed so many important opportunities, and so much joy in the true carpe diem, seize the day, um, that every day does have a lot of joy in it, including the days when I am confined to the bed and, you know, just on pain medicine or confined to the bed. But there is never a day without hope. There is never a day without life and light in it. 
Mm, those are beautiful lessons. I love them. Thank you so much, Beth, for sharing your story with me and being one of the voices we highlight as we talk about healthcare in rural communities. Thank you for having me. This has been a real privilege. I appreciate it. Well, this concludes this episode of Advocates in Action. You can find additional show notes and resources on our website at npaf.org. Thank you for listening.